0: You guys remember that that day that when you were a child, and maybe you didn't get to experience this, but I can remember that day as a kid, you try to go to sleep the night before, and um, you know you're going to Disneyland the next morning. Anybody be able to sleep? Like you were so excited, you're like having dreams of giant mice and giant dogs. That should be strange, but in our culture, that's not weird. Like literally, you're so excited about going to Disneyland. You used to have that dream where you'd pull up into the parking lot, and you weren't able to go in. You ever have that one? You're standing there and you're like, I want to go in. And your parents are like, nah, I'm just teasing you and drive away. And I had that dream every time before we'd go to Disneyland as kids. Maybe you had one of those great uh, dreams uh, before your vacation where you're going to go hike through the Sierras and you can't help it, but you're excited because you know you got to get up at four in the morning, get in the car and drive or whatever it is. There's all of these experiences. Anybody had an experience like that where you just can't fall asleep and you're just so excited about what you're going to do the next day? You know That to me is the Of what it should be like when we talk about heaven. We've been going through this series called Travel Plans. We've been walking through a conversation of this one question. Life is a journey. If you knew where you were going to end up, would you change your plans? If you knew where you were going to end up, would you look forward to it? Because honestly, many of us get into these situations where, where we're not sure what the afterlife is about. What happens when you die? What happens after after all that time goes on? What what is this going to be like? We have all kinds of cultural assumptions and ideas, and so honestly, I meet a lot of Christians who are scared about going to heaven. Is that you? You're nervous about it. You're not sure what it's like. You're kind of, oh, I don't like it. Eternity seems so final. It seems so long. It's, it's such a long journey. It's, it's so mysterious and, and weird. I just don't like the idea of heaven. Or maybe some of us are just disinterested. It's just this uninteresting concept. You're like, we're going to be singing there for thousands of years, and we're going to be sitting around, you know, what, on clouds, plucking harps and talking to little cherub angels, and hopefully my cloud bumps into your cloud so I can meet you. Or, you know, we have the idea of family reunions, and we read our books by little kids who've been to heaven and stuff like that. And and we may be inspired, but the bottom line is we're just not sure what it is. And to many people, it just sounds boring. And that's tough. Because if we don't have this concept of what heaven is right, we're not going to live with what the, Christian, what the Christian vision is. The Bible actually, whether you're a Christian or not, encourages you to imagine heaven, encourages you to look forward to it. Now, the reason why is um, if you're not, I think it should call you to ask the question, of how in the world do I get there? And those of us who are Christians, it calls us to live in a manner where we know where we're going and all of our fears are gone. It's our hope. It's our, it's our expectation. But when we get heaven wrong, it's not something we look forward to and it's not something we plan to go towards. And so what we're going to do in the next two weeks at the end, and for the rest of the series, we're going to examine heaven. We're going to dive in and look at it. What is this place? What is it like? Because we need some perspective change. I was talking to Actually, when I started the series, uh, somebody in our church who has gone through a motorcycle accident has his head, uh, he, he hit his head pretty hard, and he's gone through a massive kind of trauma and, and working it through, and, and God blessed him. He's doing well. He's back at church, and things are working out, but he was talking about the experience of his brain rewiring itself, and so he was laying in bed realizing his motor skills weren't as up to par before as before, and he's, he's imagining going home, and he's, and he's just angsting inside. He's saying, how in the world am I going to go up the stairs? How am I going to get up the stairs to my bedroom? I can't barely move my legs. This isn't going to work. And he's just overwhelmed by it. And he's talking to his wife. And his wife's like, no, we don't have stairs now. He's just like, no, yes, we do. We have stairs. And he's totally imagining his old house, not his current house that he's living in. Because the brain is wiring old patterns and old thoughts. And it took his wife to show him pictures and photos of all the different things of his house that he lives in now to, for him to go, oh, I don't have stairs. And that's the kind of perspective change we need with heaven. We need to get past some old views, some wrong views, some cultural views that you know what, some of us are gonna cling on to because that's just how we were raised and what we think and what we read in the cartoons when we were kids. And we gotta get to the idea of no, this is what the Bible is, is, is telling us, is, is calling us to imagine about this place called heaven. And so we're going to begin with some, some perspective changes. And the first perspective change is kind of strange, but it's something we need to grab onto. This first perspective change is that we are going to be resurrected, and so will heaven and earth that we are going to be resurrected, and so is heaven and earth. And that's important to us because, honestly, this is this is the oddest thing. We're sitting here going, how in the world is heaven and earth going to be resurrected? Maybe some of us get that we are, but my point is simply this. Guys, we're not talking about an ethereal location. We're not talking about like spirit world, like you're a ghost floating around like a shade. That's not what we're looking at. We're looking at a resurrection. In fact, it begins with us. Human beings are resurrected first. Our resurrection is key because Jesus was the first resurrection of them all. And so some people we're going to realize is that this is, this is a resurrection of two kinds. Notice in the book of John, we have the two resurrections laid out. Um, he's, uh, Jesus is speaking and he's talking about his voice. Now he's going to call them out, call all the people to come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And really, this is a, a simple reality of those who are in Christ are going to have one resurrection and those who are not forgiven are going to have another resurrection. There's basically two resurrections, but all of humanity is going to be resurrected. The Jewish vision and the Christian vision is not of a disembodied state. That was a Greek concept. It was the ancient Romans and the ancient Greeks who disliked this body, who thought it was an awful thing to be stuck in a cage uh, called the human body. And so they looked forward to this platonic existence where you were a form, where you just floated around as a shade or, or, the, or the truest whatever you are as a spirit. That wasn't the vision of the, of the, of the concept for the Jews. They, they believed you were made a human being. And that to be a human being means to have a body means to have a soul and a body combined, to be of heaven and of earth, to have this combination. And so the vision of the end of the world and the vision of eternity was not, as many people think, clouds and strange, fluffy colors or whatever it is. It was a vision of a physical existence in time and space for eternity in a kingdom of the Messiah, a kingdom of God. That's a radically different perspective. And this resurrection of humans comes first. And so it's no wonder that there's this this other part that sounds kind of like a resurrection of heaven and earth. And that's where we go to from here, that the heaven and earth are resurrected second. What, What do I mean by this? Look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. Well, ignore the sea part. That's a a, a theology issue that I can't get into at this point. So all you surfers, relax. Oceans will exist. But we're just going to get into this for a second. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Notice this idea of new is, is there. People debate, is this a brand new? It's most likely it's a renewed heaven and earth. It's been refurbished. Like our bodies are resurrected. So the world is resurrected. The heavens are remade. And the idea is here because they had passed away before the judgment. God removed them, brought the final judgment of all of humanity, and now makes the new heaven and new earth. And what we need to do is we need to realize that this is the, this is the idea of the future, that in eternity, there's a sense of our abode, our earthly living that you exist now on with gravity and, and, and plants and buildings and three dimension, four dimensions, time included, and you know, all that crazy stuff that exists that reality plus God's heaven where he dwells, his abode, coming together like a sandwich of homes. In essence, what this is saying is that there's these two aspects to the, to the, the future reality of our existence as resurrected human beings. If you're forgiven, you'll enter into a time where God dwells with men on earth which will be then heaven, because it's God's dwelling place. We'll we'll clarify this over the next two weeks, because it's going to radically, I think, change the way many of us imagine heaven. But this is most important, to see this new heaven and new earth, a kind of resurrection, a revitalization, a transformation of the earth. But it doesn't mean that all the things that you know now are gone. There's going to be a connection. And so... The best way to really see this is through our resurrection. You know, and so let's, let's, take a couple of, let's take an examination of the resurrection of humanity. See, because our bodies are going to be transformed. And it's your body that will be transformed the resurrection. You're not going to get somebody else's body. You're not going to wind up with some spirit body, um, as if that, that made any sense. How can a spirit body, that, that just doesn't fit together. And so Paul is wrestling through this with the Corinthians, they're asking all this stuff about resurrection. They're confused. They think it's ridiculous because they're Greek. They actually believe, and they're Roman. They think that you should be disembodied and be happy. And Paul's like, no, Jesus rose from the dead. We will rise from the dead. And so he begins his argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 like this. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they, do they come? Uh, and he says, you foolish person, you mocker, is what he's, is, he's declaring. And that's not to insult you if you have questions about the resurrection. I get it. You know, that seems really strange. Who comes back from the dead? Really? What kind of person, after years and years and years, uh, comes back? I mean, their bodies have decayed. They become dust. You're, you actually own ad atoms that belong to other human beings in your body. Because you, we, we share them all the time. We're, our cells slough off. You're not the same person you were when you were a baby. You get more cells and you lose cells. And all this stuff. We're trading, we're trading matter all over the place scientifically speaking. And so how in the world is God gonna take some guy who's been burned to ashes and reconstitute him into a human and all this stuff? I get that that seems crazy and just and bizarre, but but it's not so much if you begin to realize the God we're talking about. If you don't believe in a God, that obviously that's gonna sound strange, but if you do believe in a God, then you likely believe that God created everything that you see. And if he's capable of creating everything that you see, do we not think he's capable of recreating the things that he's made? Or did he forget? And the answer to this is really found in the fact that Jesus Christ was resurrected. Brought back from the dead after being after being put in the tomb for three days and three nights, brought back not just as some resurrect, not some resuscitated human walking around like a zombie. No, he was resuscitated and no, he was resurrected, transformed, glorified. If you need more questions about that, I don't have time to get into Easter and the resurrection and all that fun stuff that that we learn on Resurrection Sunday. But if you would like, I'll I'll point you to this book, The Case for Christ. It's It's a modern read, easy to read, and really deals well with the concepts of the resurrection what's going on and i'm open for conversation over by over by the coffee at the connection table and we can we can have that conversation because you need to have it because the one crux of christianity is not just that jesus christ died on the cross for sins but that he rose from the dead because if we don't have the fact that he rose from the dead why are we going to rise why would we expect a resurrection but because Christ rose from the dead and didn 't just become some normal human walking around, he was glorified. his body was transformed. We have a hope of a resurrection, and so Paul gets into this: well, what kind of body is this anyways? And he says, "Now, I want you to imagine this with me. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and everybody there knew what sowing meant and not sowing, but throwing seed out and letting it fall into the ground and so imagine with me that you have a kernel or an acorn in your hand, and he 's saying, "Look, guys." unless it dies, unless it's thrown in the ground, what you sow is not the body that it is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Have you ever looked at an acorn? It's crazy to think that that acorn becomes a big old tree. You look at that, they just don't match. The, the, The tree is greater than the acorn, but it's still the same thing genetically the same thing. It is coming to the same thing. And so what you imagine now is the current body that you and I own is a lot like that acorn. We, aren't, we haven't shown completely what we're going to be like, but there's a correspondence. You will be human, and you will be glorified as a human. You will be like Christ, as the Bible says. And so you don't want to think of yourself as ethereal spirits floating around. You will have a body. It will have five senses. Jesus ate Jesus saw, he touched people. Imagine eternity, then not without senses, but with full senses, your five senses, a real existence, a bodily existence. You're thinking, okay, well, what's that like? Well, Paul goes on. He begins to detail it out a little bit more. Nope, go back for me. Stay there. This transformation is a connection. Sorry, you were right, go forward yeah my bad and he says this so it is with the resurrection of, what is de- of the dead what is sown perishable and what is, re- is raised imperishable notice this what is sown is perishable weak anybody here who's above the age of, of whatever you, you, wherever you start realizing man I'm getting old you know the body is perishable amen and they said it loudly you know like, the point is that we're perishable we get sick I got a cold right now. It's not fun. And you're sitting there going, and everybody else with the cold. Cough with me now, you know? It's like spread it around. Um, Don't do that. The point is simply that we're perishable. We get sick. We're weak. We're dying. But you come out imperishable. Throughout the rest of the New Testament, you'll begin to see how this falls into place. Death is no longer around. Can you imagine living a life where you don't fear death? Where it doesn't possess your thinking? Where you're not struggling to stay young with your cosmetics and your exercise and, and all the other stuff we do to stay young? No, you have the body of youth with the wisdom of age. All of us who say, ah, oh, the youth, they, they, they just waste their lives. No, it's awesome. You, you and I, when we're resurrected, will be eternally young, I was bounding up the stairs on my way upstairs and, and one of our tag guys says, man, I remember when I used to do that. I turned and said, you're gonna get to do it one day real soon again. Because that's what it is. We have a, not that he was gonna die soon, but the point is simply that we're gonna have this imperishable body and we're gonna have the ability to, to bound and run and do. we'll see that in a second. But guys, the sickness is gone. The cancers are gone. The AIDS are gone. All the proclivities and the weird things that happen to our bodies, all the genetic defects are gone. I imagine the wonder and the joy of those with Down syndrome or of these, with these mitochondrial diseases and stuff awakening in the resurrection going, I finally can say what I wanted to say this whole time. Because their bodies had limited them. It's not that we don't really know them. It's that their bodies have limited the who they are and they're gorgeous, wonderful people and those people are still there. And then the rest of them come out too without sin, as we'll get to in a second. The blind to see colors. Those who have lost their ability to walk suddenly stand up again and go, I remember this. Those who have never been able to for the first time take their steps. I can imagine all of us are gonna gather around to go, he's gonna take his first step. He's going to see his first colors. He's going to hear his first music. The glory of the imperishable body is that all of the fallenness is removed. Never to fail again. Wow. Is that something to look forward to? It's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. This is aiming at sin. Guys, how messed up are our bodies? How bent are our proclivities? Our desire to shade and hide the truth. Our our ability to look at each other in lust. Our ability to get angry in an instant because we're so selfish, we're dishonoring our God. We ignore him, we push him out, and instead what we come back is we come in glory, without sin. We're, We're the alcoholic, doesn't have the desire to, to for drugs doesn't have the desire to be drunk doesn't have the desire to mask his pain where the people struggling with homosexuality don't have a have a worry about sex where all of the sex drunk human beings don't have a worry about it anymore we're free Our relationships aren't bent from our arguments and winning. They're just open and honest, and we take each other for who we are. And it's glorious and beautiful because it's true and it's honest and it's always good. I love the idea of heaven being this, that you know what? You can do whatever you want because you'll never sin. You'll never want to sin, and you'll always want to glorify God with every desire of your heart. That's what it means to be raised in glory. And some people point out the fact that we will possibly glow. You're thinking, that's odd. Well, you read about Moses, and Moses is in the presence of God, he comes down the mountain, and his face is glowing, it freaks the people out, so he has to put a, a mask on, basically a veil. And I don't know if that's what the case, what case will be, but I can imagine spelunking will be a lot of fun if you're glowing, you know, you're like, hey, cool, caves, you know, Let's just walk on in. I have no idea, I'm, just let your imagination run a little bit. But glory implies light, it implies beauty, it implies wonder, it implies sinlessness. It's sown in weakness and raised in power. How many things do we wish we could do that we can't? How many of us wish we could just hear the beat and instead you're like, you know, and I'm, I'm next to you messing you up on purpose because I'm mean, but how many of us wish we could play those sports and we just don't have that coordination? I believe what this implies is that where there was inability, there is ability. Now, I don't believe that you're just gonna show up and be naturally good at everything, and we'll find out that there's room for growth and there's room for, uh, for development and there's room for all of this stuff that we, exist, we have in heaven that's limited by death. And that is eliminated. And so there's so much in these verses. He goes on to say, look, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And there is a natural body. There's also a spiritual body. What does he mean? See, it's spiritual body. We're gonna be like disembodied spirits. Woo! No, no, no. Spiritual always implies the presence of the Holy Spirit. When you talk as a Christian, spiritual does not mean ethereal. It means God's full presence. It is a body that can endure the presence of God. It is a body that is tuned to see the spiritual reality. See, your eyes can't see a lot of things. It doesn't see like a hawk sees. It doesn't see like certain snakes see, where they see heat. It doesn't see radio. It doesn't see radiation. There's a whole presence in the light spectrum you and I don't see. Because our eyes aren't tuned that way. But what this is telling me is that our bodies and our lives are tuned not just to see something new in the physical realm, but to see the spiritual reality that surrounds us all the time. Finally, our eyes will click into position to where we can see the spiritual realm. And our bodies can exist in the spiritual realm. Right now, Jesus exists in a physical body in heaven, presently in heaven. So whatever that means, we'll be like Christ. It means that we'll have the ability to walk in the presence of God and on the earth at the same time, because they'll be smashed together, newer heavens, new earth, both of them bound, but we will have the ability to live in that presence of God, or be, where right now we would be destroyed because of our sin. Now this begins, I hope, to percolate your imagination Starts to bubble up, but before we really get into all the things we might get to do, we need to talk about what what primarily heaven is first. And while we've said it's a new heaven and a new earth, we're going to focus on new earth next week. We're going to focus on the new this new heaven concept this week. And so, the second perspective shift that we need to have is heaven is a is the resurrected earth, but it's but it's where we are with God. And that's what we need to realize. It's it's heaven because we are there with God. It's not heaven because we're floating in another space. It's heaven because God is present. Wherever God is in his fullness and he lives, that's heaven. Got it? So it's a new, God says, I got a new heaven, I got a new earth. They're the same thing. Because I'm living there on earth. How do we know this? Look at Revelation chapter 21, verse three through four. After he's just said the new heaven and the new earth is coming, he says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. And this is God speaking from the book of Revelation. He's literally speaking from the throne. He's saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Now, not just Jesus, who is God, not just the Spirit who dwells in us. The Father himself will dwell with us. And so the fullness of the Trinity, the fullness of God will be present on earth because sin will be gone. And he goes on to say, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Notice how intimate this is. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things, meaning those things of the fall, have passed away. Whew. The wonder and the joy of what we have is that God will be with us in a world much like this. Not a radically weird, different physics world. No, God is here, and the world is able to withstand the presence of God, and we are able to withstand the presence of God, and that is a good thing. You see, in heaven, we're even going to see God, and uh, this has been argued throughout history, like are you going to see him like with spiritual eyes or no. We're going to be resurrected. Our eyes are going to be tuned on with spiritual bodies. We're going to see God in the flesh. We're going to be able to stand before him. That's how much our bodies are remade and are transformed. And it, this is the promise that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The only way I get to be pure in heart is through Jesus Christ. Amen? Because I'll be honest, left to myself, my heart's not very pure. My heart's pretty wicked. It's pretty, pretty angry and pretty impatient and pretty argumentative. But in Christ, when I'm with him, when I'm walking in, when I have a relationship with him, he just orders all that stuff in a different way. And I want to do things for God. I want to love people. And it just changes me. My heart is made more pure. And in eternity, after the blood of Christ has completely transformed me and I'm resurrected and the old flesh that was sinful is gone, I'll be pure of heart and I'll be able to stand there and stare at the wonder of who God is and the joy of who he is. Now, I will see Jesus, and I will stare at the wonder of who Jesus is because he's God, and we'll hang out. Can you imagine having dinner with Jesus? And it's like the king invites you to the banquet, and you're like, dude, I can't. And one, And eternity is long enough, I guarantee you one day you're gonna get to sit right next to him. It's a long time in eternity. Eventually, we'll all get to sit next to everybody. When you start putting it in context like this, where it's real banquets, where it's real people, where it's really us, it starts getting exciting, and we will really see God. How does that work? I don't know. Does it mean we, like, we walk up to heaven, we're like, what's this? Pull your number. I got 1,173,632. Okay, when your number's called, you get to go see God. Okay, looking forward to that day. You know, is that, I don't know. Is the presence of the Spirit in us so much so that when we pray, God's presence is right in our face? I don't know. Whatever it means is that we will literally see God, and I don't think we'll ever forget it. But the presence of God, it's important. The presence of God is what makes heaven a paradise. If there was no God there, there is no paradise. See, paradise is a word that refers back to the garden. And in the garden, there was intimacy between us and God. He treated Adam and Eve like his children. And so we have this intimacy with God that will exist in heaven where we will know him. We will talk to him. We will hear him. We will respond back and forth. There will be an intimacy that's connected there. Does that mean we'll just sit around staring at him? I mean, he's the best thing there. So we're just like, oh, he's so pretty. Oh, I feel so good staring. Is that how it'll be? And so we never go explore the rest of the new earth. We're just like, (laughs) I don't know. I have a tendency to think that God wants to continue to be a creator. That God wants to continue to show the majesty and the wonder of his creation and joy as it points back to him. And so I kind of have the feeling that he's going to tell us, hey, why don't you go do this for me? We'll be like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. And we'll feel a lot like when our parents say, hey, we're going to go do something tomorrow. What, what, we're going to Disneyland. (gasps) I can't wait. I think anytime God tells us we're going to go do something, all of us will be like, that's going to be awesome. Because why wouldn't it be? And I think God begins to work with us and there's more than just him sitting on the throne that we're staring at because all other heavenly pleasures derive from and are secondary to God's presence. He is joy. He is adventure. He is thrill. He is all of these things. And so we gain all that from with Him, but being with him, but I believe he expresses that in a way that you and I as human beings experience. And so... We wind up with this kind of a psalm, Psalm 36, 7 through 9. Notice this lusciousness. How precious is your steadfast love, O God, The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. So we're talking about God himself. He's the one protecting. They feast on the abundance of, their, of your house. That's what heaven is. It's God's house. Well, we're going to feast on the abundance. We're not just sitting and stare at God. He's got abundance there like the garden. Adam and Eve just didn't sit and stare at God. They got up. They got to eat. They got to go do incredible things before they fell, you will give them drink from the river of your delights. Yeah, his delights, God's not boring. He's like, check this out. And he's got a, just this ton of delights he has that he wants us to enjoy because you know what happens in heaven? None. We will never worship those things. We will always worship him. Everything that we do in heaven, notice, will derive back to him. In your light, do we see light? And the point is simply this that all the joys of heaven, all the joys that come out of heaven, are connected to who God is. It all radiates. It's like going to an art show or listening to music and you know who the artist is because it just screams them. The entire universe will scream, God, God. And you can't help but notice it. And He'll treat us like He will a family, He'll give us a blessing. And I'm going to. We're going to go through this quickly, but there's the blessings of a parent exist there. And I really believe what he's doing there is he calls himself Father in Heaven. And he's going to treat us like his children. And there's going to be this glory of his his presence and his gifts. And like on Christmas, we're going to get these gifts from God. But the difference between us now and then is that we'll open it up, we'll rejoice over the gift, and it will make us love God more and not the present. We will never turn anything into an idol. And so God is able to give us everything for our delight because we'll never turn it into evil we will always turn it back into worship it will always be another form of worship not just instrumental worship but life worship I have a I'll talk about that next week I'll I'll save that I'll save that story but the point is here that when you begin to think about this heaven is something that is so powerful for your imagination to gather on as long as it's guided by the Bible it should thrill your heart and grow your expectation. You can't be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. Because all it does is ignite in us the joys and the desire to be good. Notice this in Philippians chapter one, verse, verses uh. 12 through 21. You're going to have to turn there, but I'm, going to, I'm just going to read it to you. You don't need to do that. I just want you to hear what Paul says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me really served in the advance of the gospel. So he's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of the impri- my imprisonment for Christ. He's been put in jail, which are not nice. They're horrible places like sewers. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. And I'm are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth. Christ is proclaimed, and that I rejoice. How in the world does this guy go through being imprisoned? letting people try to stick it to him by preaching, trying to be more famous than him, or preaching the gospel. How does he get away from rivalry? How does he get over all this stuff? And how can he say he rejoices? He says, yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. How is he sure of that? As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul had such a concept of heaven, such a concept of eternity, that he would go through the pains and the sufferings of life and give himself away for the love of others and the sharing of the gospel that, that, that any would go there. He knew that the gates of heaven were wide open, They were not closed. It's the gates of Hades and hell that are closed. And he knew he needed to go there and storm those at every cost because he was already guaranteed heaven. When you're heavenly minded, when your hope is set there, you will will run after what God calls you to do with such great faith, you'll never fear. Uh, There may be fear, but you'll never ultimately fear because it will drive you forward in confidence. And so my challenge to you, us, this morning is this question here. Ask yourself, if I really look forward to heaven, how would I live differently? If you really look forward to the true heaven, how would you live differently? Because I guarantee you guys, heaven's not boring as we'll see next week. It's thrilling. And it will motivate you and me to do what God has called us to do. And we'll enjoy every second of it. Even in the hard times. We may not like it, but ultimately we know it's to our joy. So... Would you bow your heads with me? Mm. You know, I've made the statement that heaven is the presence of God. It's a lot like this earth, but God chooses to dwell there. And, and maybe this morning, you're here, you're, you're working through a lot of different things in your life. Yeah, you, you believe in a God, but you're not so sure heaven is your destination. The question is simply this. If heaven is full of God's presence, why wouldn't we want his presence now? If we don't want to be with him now, why would we want to be with him forever and eternity? And God has said, the way that you know, I know that you really want to be with me is that you receive my gift. And his gift was simply this. To bear and take away our sin and its, and its punishment by putting it on Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ bore that sin, bore that punishment so that he would fix your relationship with God. So that you could have a relationship with God. Not just the idea of one, a real one where God stops being the God in the heavens and an idea and becomes the God who dwells in your life. Who starts convicting you of sin. Before, you probably don't wrestle much with sin. But he comes into your life and he starts to change you and shape you and lead you and and, and show you how much he loves you. And he leads you all the way into eternity where his presence will be fully there. And that's not gained by doing good works and, and following rules and doing all this stuff and coming to church every week. You'll do all that because you just love God. And it's what you what He what you know makes him makes him just enjoy the relationship. But that's not what saves, it's not what changes. What God wants to do is He just wants to give you the gift to be free to know him forever. So he offers you his son Jesus. Would you receive him today? Would you receive his gift so you can have that relationship and so you can walk straight in to eternity with God? The doors are wide open through Jesus and it's offered to everyone If you need to receive that this morning, just let me know. I'd like to pray with you. If you know you need to get right with God through the work of Jesus Christ so that you can have that destiny of heaven, you can change in your travel plans, just let me know by putting your hand up. I'd love to pray with you, give you that opportunity. The prayer doesn't save you, but it's just a way of expressing that you trust that Jesus Christ is enough to get you into heaven and that you're receiving that gift. If you're there and you'd like to pray this with me, just pray this prayer. You say, God in heaven, I know that I've sinned and that my relationship with you isn't right. And I want to receive your gift this morning that Jesus bore my sins on the cross, that he rose from the dead, so I'll get a chance to rise from the dead too. And I trust that you've fixed my relationship with you and Jesus. Would you lead me from here all the way into heaven? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.